If you will, take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. One of my favorite stories, and the Lord just brought it to my heart, and I was excited about sharing it with you. For it is basically the comparison of two lives. As I put in your notes, you can see in the comparison of these two lives, we can see the contrast in being religious or having a relationship with Jesus. One is a life of disconnection, and the other is a life of connection. Changed. The good news is you can come from one to the other. This is a story of, of, of a, a, a moment in time with Jesus in verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, a Pharisee was, out of the three religious sects, one of the most uh, influential and amazing in influence and respect of the community. Pharisees were the very religious. They were very uh, committed in what they did. Uh, they prayed three times a day. They, they, they wore Bible verses on their garments. They were very committed to the God of the Bible, Old Testament. And then comes this guy named Jesus, and he is fresh with speech with authority. As a matter of fact, they would say, we've never heard anyone with this kind of authority speak in our synagogues and temples. So he said, i got to get to know this guy. I want to bring him to the house and... And so he invited him to come and, and have fellowship with him and eat with him. In the process of reclining at the table, they had low tables, and basically you laid it. You laid in the table, rest on your elbows, face toward the table, feet away from the table, and that's how you ate. Leaning on one elbow, leaning on the other elbow, eating with one hand. And, and uh, for, for those of us who like to eat fast, that's a little challenging. Don't mind telling you. Uh, you weren't in a hurry when you ate there. You just kind of sit there, recline, and just ate one hand kind of thing. And so uh, that's how they did it. And in the process of eating, and everybody is probably talking about the various things, and perhaps they're, they're, they're trying to ask Jesus some questions, and, and they're talking about what is he doing and what he's been saying. And then a mo when a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town, well, that says it all, doesn't it? She had a reputation. Everybody in the town knew who she was. And who she was wasn't good. And so this woman, as she begins to sense they're eating and having this time together, but she is, is aware that Jesus has been invited to this man's house. And so she shows up, makes her way in, which was not only come, people kind of milled around and wandered around, but she came in. When she learned he was eating at the table at, at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. This was not a common thing. And this sinful woman has walked into the Pharisee's house who had made a practice of separating from people such as her, and now she has come to one of his guests which is somewhat embarrassing for him. And she now sits at the feet of Jesus and begins to weep over his feet and anoint his feet with perfume. 
And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Now, catch what's happened here. He's saying he brought him there because he was intrigued by what he was saying and what he was doing. And now he's thinking, I think this guy's a scam. I don't think he's the real deal. If he was a prophet, he would rebuke this woman knowing her reputation and her actions. Now, he hasn't said this out loud. You've got to get this. He hasn't said this out loud. He's just been thinking it. Thinking, well, you know, this guy ain't for real. He don't know, he don't know anything about... He, a prophet would discern her evil and her sin. And Jesus, understanding what he thought, because he is a prophet, says, uh, look what he says here, okay? Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Now he's gone from prophet to teacher. Well, maybe the guy's a teacher, but we know he ain't a prophet. Watch. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, which is like 20 months' wages, guys. That's, that's a long time. And the other 50, uh, that's like two months', wa- uh, two months wages. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Which of them will love him more? Guys, this isn't rocket science. If somebody forgives me my debt on my house and my cars, they own me. I'm telling you. If they forgive me of... Uh, I mean, that's great. I appreciate that. That's good, but hey. Uh, He's saying, guys, when when someone's forgiven you a lot, there's a greater gratitude. There really is. When you've been forgiven much, when when the debt has been so enormous that you can no longer bear under it, and someone says, I'm going to cancel your debt, you're going, hallelujah, that's great, man, love it. And so that's what happened. He says, now, the one who had, he's got, yeah, the guy who, 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 who got forgiven for 20 months' wages, that's awesome, man. Everybody would be excited about that. They'd never forget that. That's true. Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? Well, Yeah. <laughs> I saw that woman. I was embarrassed she came to my house. I was offended that she would touch my gas. Yeah, I've seen that woman. He didn't say that. He was thinking that. Now, Jesus knows he's thinking all this. And so he said, yeah, man, she offended me, and I, I just, you know, I, I'm embarrassed by that. I came into your house. You do not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears. You wiped them with her hair, and you did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You do not oil, you do not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. He said, I know what you've been thinking. Now, go ahead and let me answer it for you. She's been forgiven. For she loved much. Now, that's past tense, meaning what's happened here, uh, and I'll talk about it in a minute. Her sins have been forgiven, past tense, present tense. And because of the forgiveness, we're going to understand why in just a minute. 
She wasn't forgiven because she anointed his uh, feet with, with a perfume and cried over his, and, and wept and, and, dried, and, and dried his feet with her hair. That was not why she was forgiven. Because she was forgiven, she was now loving much. All right, now here we go. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. He's, she, she's now, he's now confirming what's taking place in her life already. And the other guests begin to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I want you to understand, as I look at these two people, first of all, Simon has mastered the practice of religion. He has it down to a fine art. He is appreciated and admired by all the people around him because he is a religious man. But I will tell you the tragedy of religion. If you're left with your religion, you are still unchanged. Been around it all my life. Unchanged. Religion doesn't change you. It covers you up a little bit. It makes you more presentable. It makes you more acceptable. But it does not change your life. Simon's problem is he's a Pharisee who's very much committed to the religion of his day but has no concept of relationship with Christ. And therefore, he responds to Christ this way. There's four of them. Number one, con conceited assumption. He assumed, if I do the right things, avoid the wrong people and the wrong things, I will be right with God. If I can do stuff that I think God likes, I will be okay. Man, that's conceited. To think that we could do anything that would please God. And God would go, wow, that's the best thing I've ever seen. I've, that is awesome. Let me help you out. He's never going to say that about you. Until you're saved. Until you're changed, that, that's not going to happen. Ah, oh, you can come to church every Sunday. That's great. I love for you to be here. I hope you keep coming. But please understand, that's not enough. To think, he's thinking, I have been a great Pharisee, and therefore I, my, what I've done certainly counts for something. There's no truth in that assumption. There's no truth. You cannot do anything that impresses God prior to salvation. Because no one does the right thing everywhere all the time. And to think that I've done things that have impressed God so much that he's going to say, man, you're good. Isn't going to happen. As a matter of fact, the Bible says there's none righteous. No, not even one. So he had a conceited assumption that he thought, I'm pretty good, so I must be okay. But he was unchanged. The second thing, he had a callous affection. He was indifferent toward Jesus. He was curious. And he had some degree of, a, of perhaps curiosity, but he had no genuine affection. He had a very guarded affection to this man. He had invited him as his guest. He had issued to some degree of hospitality, but his lack of what he did showed his lack of affection. He did not do anything for his feet. He did not anoint his head. He had no real affection, although he had an acquaintance with him. He had him eat at his table without affection. How many people go through life with a callous affection for Jesus? I mean, yeah, yeah, I like him, you know, he's okay, son of God, died on the cross, yeah. But the truth is, it doesn't go any further. 
because you're unchanged. The third thing is he had a, a casual acquaintance with him. He simply invited him to his home, but not into his heart. No truth, no gratitude, now no commitment. He, he said, uh, come meet with me, but that's as far as we're ever going to go. I'm not sure I want you, I'm not sure I'm buying into your philosophy and your ideology and your theology of God. I like what I'm doing. I like who I am. I'm comfortable where I am at. So you'll come eat at my table, but that's as close as we're going to get. A very casual acquaintance. We do it all the time. I'll go to church today, but that's as close as it's going to get. I'll go to a Sunday school class, but man, that's as close as we're going to get. You know, I'll sing in the choir, but no, that's as close as we're going to get. And we'll bring him into our life, but never into our heart. We'll say a prayer before we eat, but that's as close as we're going to get. We'll say, God, I, I, you know, I, I, I'll let you be this close to me, but I, I'm not ready. I'm just going to let you stay out here. There's just a casual acquaintance with you. You see, I'm aware there's so many people who know about Jesus, but don't really know him. Oh, they know all the stories, but they don't know him. A casual acquaintance, and then a careless attitude. Instead of realizing what was happening in front of him and the testimony of a sinful woman, he simply refused to deal with the separation from God. Remained unchanged. He saw Jesus as a teacher, maybe as a prophet, but never saw him as his Savior. To be in the presence of Jesus is not the same as Jesus being in present in you. There's a world of difference. The difference is heaven and hell. It's that much a difference. I have a I have a golf store I I, I go to when I go to Atlanta sometimes. I've uh, been uh, in, in, uh, long time ago. My favorite golf store is in town. Buy all my stuff from my buddy John and Phil. But I had a friend of mine. He he works at this place, and and I every once in a while I just go by to see him. Not going to buy anything. I go in and talk to him. I've known him for about twenty years. And so I'll, I'll go in and just stop and say, how you doing, man? Ah, great. Haven't bought anything in a while. I say, yeah, I know. Haven't bought anything in a while. <laughs> Not going to buy anything, but hey, I just come and say hey to you. And those are a minister, and he will always talk. He, he's, he's not, and, I'm, and the reason I go by to see him is because he's on my list of people to win to the Lord. So I go by and see him. Uh, and so he asked me one day, he said, what is the hardest thing about the ministry and pastoring. And it's one of those moments where there was nobody in the store. There was no one going to come talk to him or ask him to show them a golf club or buy golf balls. They weren't going to do that. They were going to, they were going to, it was one of those God moments. And you go, all right, Lord. I said, well, let me tell you, let me tell you my hardest, let me tell you the greatest challenge in the pastorate for me is trying to help people understand 
that good works and a casual acquaintance will get them to heaven. And try to convince them that won't work. That, that they think it will and try to convince them that it will not work. That's not enough. That they have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And the hardest thing I do for 35 years in ministry is try to convince the person who's religious that they need a relationship with Christ. He got real quiet because he is religious. Goes to church every Sunday. Different denomination. Denomination don't matter. <clears throat> I say that to say to you, greatest challenge is for religious people to realize they don't have a relationship. Because they're so busy doing religion, they've not yet discovered what they're really missing. Well, there's a second thing. I, I, I want to look at the woman for a moment. <clears throat> You see, the failure of Simon to connect to Jesus, his disconnection is evident in four ways. But for the woman, the faith of the sinful woman that made the connection with Jesus is evident in four ways. One is a life of disconnect. The other is a life of connection. And while you can be religious, you can still be disconnected. And here's the problem. He was disconnected. Didn't have a clue. Couldn't understand. And here's the reason why you know he didn't have a clue. When Jesus told the story of forgiveness of sin and he sees what this woman's doing... He didn't get it. That's how I know. He had no idea why she was really grateful. Just like a lot of people that sit in our pews every Sunday. They don't understand why some people begin to cry. When they hold up a sign of the day they were changed. Oh, they don't understand that. They go, oh, man, why'd they do that? Because of gratitude. Man, see, if you don't have it, you don't get it. He didn't get it. He, never, he couldn't figure it out. Uh, he, and so Jesus said, I want to tell you something about her. Number one, uh, she demonstrated personal abandon. No person or perception about her would keep her from Jesus. She entered a house without welcome, let her hair down without approval, and nothing was more important than Jesus. She didn't care what people whispered about her, what they said about her, what they thought about her. She was going to come to the feet of Jesus. Guys, please hear me. That's when you understand faith is working your life, when you're finally saying, I don't care what they say when I step out from that pew and come down that aisle and take the preacher's stand. It doesn't matter anymore. I'm not going to be embarrassed. I may have been a church member all my life. I may have been a great Baptist, but it doesn't matter if I'm not at the feet of Jesus. And so, he, she, you know, he said she had personal abandon. She just said, man, I don't care what anybody thinks. Too many times I've watched people struggle with coming forward because they're really worried about what people are going to say about them. Like, that really matters. I mean, listen. If somebody has a problem with somebody walking the aisle and accepting Jesus, they have a problem. So you don't need to worry about what they think, because I promise you, they don't matter. But I will tell you what, the angels of heaven stand to their feet and rejoice when a sinner comes to Christ. She was... She had a personal abandon to what people thought about her. It didn't, it didn't matter. It didn't matter if they were going to call her a fanatic 
or perhaps overcommitted, she didn't care. Secondly, she had a public acknowledgement. She identified with Jesus for all to see. Simon was embarrassed, but she wasn't. She was saying, I want, I want everybody to know in this room, I love this man. It's amazing. We can talk about how much we love our football team, our basketball team, our baseball team. Uh, we can talk about how much we love our church, but it's amazing how timid we get when we try to say, man, I love Jesus. Well, she said, I want everybody to know. I want everybody to know. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I'm, I, I'm not ashamed. I'm not embarrassed. Priceless adoration. Emotionally, she shed her tears adoring this man that had changed her life. Humility, she let down her hair. Personal sacrifice, she broke open the alabaster box that had perfume that was probably one of her greatest treasures. And she began to pour this perfume on his feet and literally changed the atmosphere of the room. I think that's what we're supposed to do when we live out a Christian life. And then, and then she began to wipe his feet. And bear in mind, remember I've said, they're laying down, leaning on their elbows toward a table that's about the side. And, and she's down really low. She's down on her knees and her hands. Adoring. Adoring. Jesus, she wants to give him herself. She is having a worship experience because she's been changed. So she'll raise her hands because she's been changed. She'll weep because she's been changed. I like for my imagination when I, when I look at these stories and put them in a 21st century setting. I, my imagination, I'm thinking she's sitting there pouring the perfume on his feet, wiping it with her hair, and I believe she's singing, I've been changed. By his marvelous grace, I've been changed. And she had a peaceful assurance. Jesus said, you've been forgiven. It's a done deal. Uh, she was forgiven by grace through faith. Forgiven totally, completely, perfect, perfectly. The verb tense here speaks of a past forgiveness that extends into the present. What he was saying is, what you've already done is going to be good the rest of your life. 
What have I done for you? That forgiveness thing keeps on working. It doesn't have a shelf life. It doesn't have an expiration date. It just keeps on working. Perhaps she was thinking, how long will this last? Boy, it's so good. I feel so wonderful, but I wonder if it's going to go away. I wonder if I can keep it. I wonder if it really has taken care of me. And Jesus said, I want to let you know something. It has. You've been changed. Peaceful assurance. Do you have the peaceful assurance that you've been changed by His marvelous grace? Have you experienced the connection that with Jesus that can change your life? Man, I'm not talking about coming to church. I, I'm not talking about being a Baptist. I, could, I don't care if you ever become a Baptist. Please understand, I mean, I mean that. Because being a Baptist won't, won't get you into heaven. Probably put you deeper in hell without Christ. But I want you to meet Jesus. I want you to know His grace and forgiveness. And I want you to have a relationship with Him that takes beyond denominationalism and religion and philosophy and ideology and theology. I want you to get into a relationship with Christ. More than anything else. Do you have that perfect assurance? That peaceful assurance? That your debt's been settled? A couple of times ago when we sang this song and... and uh, we, we, I'd ask many of you to put your name, a date on, on the sign and as a congregation you could hold up when you were changed. And we had a young lady who, who, uh, man, I, I taught her in Sunday school in the college class and she'd been involved in this church and been a part of this church. Uh, wonderful, wonderful young lady. And it's, it hit her so directly. As she was wrestling with a date to put on her board, her card, she didn't have one. And she came to church realizing she didn't have a date to put on her sign. Because she had not had a defining moment of change. What about you? If I was to give you a sign, do you have a date to put on it when you were changed? If not, today can be that date. I'll tell you the good news about that young lady. She had a defining moment. And she has a date on her card now. 